Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, and I'm the CEO of Robotics Australia Group, the peak body for robotics in Australia. We advocate, connect and promote on behalf of our members. And today we have Oliver Gaunt, Principal Corporate Finance from RSM. We are extremely grateful to RSM who sponsor Robotics Australia Group. Oliver, welcome. Thanks for joining me and flying the flag of RSM today. Thanks for having me, Nikki. It's a pleasure. You've worked for RSM for the last seven years. Uh, I detect a bit of an accent there. So tell us a bit about your journey to date. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I'm, I'm from the UK originally. I think it's nine years now in, in Australia. So most of my working life in Australia has been with RSM. Um, and yeah, it's been been a good journey so far. Uh, they actually sponsored me. So I got my citizenship last year as well. So that was a, a nice achievement. Um, we had a mass family migration, so there was a bit of pressure on uh, getting citizenship. I didn't want to have to go home and with the tail between my legs back on my own. So <laughs> The black sheep in the family, you didn't, yeah. you didn't pass the, the test. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, over the, over the years, it's been really interesting just seeing how the world of accounting has changed so, so much in that short space of time. I think one of the main changes has been, I don't even refer to us as an accounting firm anymore. I refer to us as a consultancy firm. And we've probably trebled in size over the years that I've been with RSM. And one of the major reasons for that has been our um, development into new service lines. Um, so everyone considers accounting firms just providing the usual financial statements, tax advice, um, they started off with specialists like myself that work in corporate finance, you know, uh, specialists within tax, like um, research and development. But now we have all the way to data analytics, um, ERP specialists, digital transformation. So we're actually even selling software now. So we've, we've had that significant change and, and I think we've evolved as a firm because of it. The way I really badge ourselves now is that what do we do? We target the mid-market. Um, we're the sixth largest um, accounting consultancy firm um, in the world. Um, and we don't want to be everything to everyone. We want to target on the businesses that we resonate with. And those are the small, medium-sized businesses. And I think what we look to do now is rather than um, our services are dictated by what those businesses require from us. Um, we've obviously got our engine room, which is our, we call it our business advisory team, which are the people that provide the advice to businesses, do the financial statements, tax returns, all those sort of things. But now they can leverage off this huge team of specialists. So when a business has something that comes up, um, that's out of their wheelhouse, they can then introduce it to someone like myself or someone in digital transformation, and we can add greater value to the. Well, congratulations. Firstly, on your citizenship, you passed the master. You must have done, passed the test. I can't remember if there is still a test. There must be one. There is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I ask you all sorts of funny questions. You know, I don't know what relevance this is to actually earning money in Australia and paying tax. <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully now I think most of the questions are morality questions, they call them. So it's just making sure you're a decent human being. You don't have to know, you know what what year Captain Cook landed or anything like that these days. Yeah, and, you, and, and there's no ways of fudging that, of course. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. 
I, I love your description of RSM and the service that you offer. It is such a holistic way of um, of looking at things and that can companies can come to you as a one-stop shop, literally. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about advancement in AI and robotics and how it's impacted RSM and its clients. Yeah, definitely. So I think being a people services business, it's obviously something that does scare people in the industry. I think it's going to be the next major shakeup for our industry is how, as a firm, do we look to adopt robotics and AI? Um, ChatGBT has, has caused a lot of internal conversations. Um, with every opportunity, obviously, comes the risks. With new technology, we need to quickly think, how are we going to use it as a firm and how are we going to use it safely? Um, ChatGBT is a great example of that. You know, As soon as that came out, there was a lot of communication to employees around just being careful what we put in there. Um, you can't afford to put any client information or any of our own sort of private IP because um, that's obviously shared. So I think what, what we're looking at is building our sort of own internal chat GBT. Um, and for us, you know, we spend so much time emailing and doing a lot of these tasks that rather than as starting with a blank piece of paper, a tool like that can really get you 70% of the way there. Um, as a principal in the team, I obviously have a lot of people that, that work um, and assist me. And what part, primary part of my job is reviewing their work. But if we can, you know, get some AI system that can get us 50% of the way there, they then review that, make that a bit better, and then it moves up the ladder, then that, that's going to save us a lot of time. And I think probably the one thing that always sort of gets raised with these things is, you know, what impact if we're a people business does that have on the people? And, you know, will that mean that we'll have less people and less job opportunities? And the way I see it is, I think it's actually improving job satisfaction. A lot of the stuff that, that it's replacing is tasks that none of us enjoy doing. It's a lot of the administrative, laborious, um, low fulfillment jobs. Uh, and especially in my area, I, I'm less compliance and more advisory. So that's what I enjoy doing. I enjoy doing the advice bit. You know, I sell businesses. So, you know, how do you get experience at selling businesses? Is You, you have to go and sell them, you know. Um, it's a very much a gray hair industry. Um, still, you know, I've been doing this for over 10 years now. And still on each transaction, there'll be some sort of curveball that you may not have seen before. Um and, and I don't think, you know, AI is never going to have that capability. It can only really look backwards and learn off past tense rather than looking forward. So I, I'm very excited about it personally. I think it's going to take out, free, uh, free us up to add more value to our clients and do some more of that higher end stuff and then push away the, um, the sort of more administrative side of things. And are you adopting ChatGPT? Are you using it at the moment? Yes, I actually am. Um, and we've got, got a few of our own sort of tools um, around RPA is probably the biggest one for us. Our IT guys are using it a lot. Um, there's a lot of processes that we have um, that they've looked to automate now. Um, they were telling me they reckon already we're saving around six million a year as a firm. As a result of it, they they call them uh, digital workers. Um, so I think they even have names on the system. Um, and they've and, and they're just really doing again, you know, and they can run 24 hours, you know, they can do things that that we cannot do. 
Interestingly, they did actually tell me something which I'd never thought of before when I was chatting to them around this is that um, they used the analogy of the robot vacuum cleaner. And they said a lot of the time people think that robots are quicker. They're actually not. <laughs> like in the robot cleaner example, I think if you wanted to go around the house with your vacuum cleaner, you'd definitely be the robot. But the beauty, beauty of it is, is that they can be running for a longer time and they can be running in the background while we're doing other tasks. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 we're even having seminars internally around AI and what we think we can, what as, a, as employees would we want to see develop that would assist us as tools. Um, so it's a core focus of ours at the moment. And as I said, I'm, I'm very excited to see, see where it takes us. Tell me, what do you specialize in and how are you helping your clients through the process of selling their business or raising capital? Yeah, so I work in corporate finance. Corporate finance is generally around transactions. We, we split the team into two. So we have a valuations team and a deal advisory. Uh, mergers and acquisitions sits in the deal advisory. I'm predominantly selling businesses. That's probably 70% of my work. I also raise capital for businesses that can be the equity or debt. Um, and then we do some financial modeling as well. Um, so it's really project managing the process. Um, the way I, uh, the most simplistic way that I explain what we do is it's like when you're selling your house, you go to an estate agent. When you're selling your business, you come to someone like myself. Again, you know, they say selling your house is one of the most stressful things that you do. Well, imagine selling your business that you've worked in for 30, 40 years. You know, it's a very stressful and emotional thing to go through. And I've done it many, many a times. I know how the process works. Um, I know how to articulate the value drivers of the business, trying to maximize your value. Um, there's also, I call them rules of engagement. You know, there are set things that we see and, and how you go to market a business and how you structure it. Um, so I understand all that, which coming in to someone who's never done it before, there are going to be a lot of very new concepts that you need to get your head around quite quickly. Um, but I get this is why I've always enjoyed RSM and the space we work in, because it's that mid-market. So one of the last businesses we sold was uh, called Motec, which was a manufacturer of um, performance technology in the motorsport industry. And that was typical client for us, you know, um, privately owned family business. Uh, he was looking to retire. So we sold that business to Bosch. Uh, and that's normally the case. We're normally representing the smaller player and selling it to a much larger corporate. So you are, to some extent, you know, uh, outgunned. They're generally, you know, they'll have much more resource on their end. Um, they'll be using advisors similar to myself. So that's what I get great fulfillment out of is, is that, you know, helping that person through that process to get a good result um, and, and, and bridging that gap, I guess, between a maybe, you know, less sophisticated seller to a very sophisticated sort of corporate conglomerate. And I can just imagine someone who's worked for 30 years in their business, um, they've given it blood, sweat and tears their whole life, they've invested in it. They want a good outcome because it's uh, their retirement plan and it's probably an uh, inheritance legacy that they would like to pass on to their kids because they've decided not to go into the business. And they come to you and you have to value it. And I, I probably first thing is to agree on the valuation because even that would be a journey. 
Yeah, definitely. That's um, one of the, 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 you've got to do that at the start. We call them shareholder objectives uh, and, and values, obviously a key one. The, the other key one generally is around timing. You know, um, some people don't mind staying on the business. Some people have businesses where they have to stay on for a while because they're just not ready to transition at this stage. Um, but generally what with that discussion is most businesses, you know, are on growth trajectories and then that's the trade-off. <laughs> do yeah. you stay in for three to five years and keep growing the business and it'll be worth more? Or do you sell it now and, and take the value that's on the table today? Yeah, so I suppose in a way you have to hold their hand, nurture them, calm them down, a uh, bit of a psychologist role as well. Yeah, definitely. So I say, look, we're good cop, bad cop. Um, we um, take a lot of the pressure. Um, you've doing M&A, you've got to enjoy pressure or you're in the wrong line of work. Um, and that's it. You know, there's going to be times when they just clients, you know, want to vent um, that, you know, they're maybe not getting the offers that they want or, you know, there's there's always going to be problems. I'd like to think of a transaction a bit like um, at Bobside, you know, you're going to hit the side on the way down. Right? Yeah. You, there's no deal is perfect. It never will be. So you've just got to be resilient and make sure that you get to the end without toppling over. <laughs> What's one piece of advice that you would give someone looking to sell their business or raise capital? Yeah, so the processes are very similar for the two, um, but primarily is is planning. Uh, it's like anything. If if you jump into a sales process and you've not planned properly, then you're probably not going to get the best possible result. Um, the more time we have to work with a business that's looking to sell, the better result we can get for them. Um, and even I think you sort of mentioned it before, Nikki, is that they've got to go on. It's a, it's a, always quite a, a journey they go on. You might have these original thoughts of what your goals are, but then they can change throughout the process. And the more you understand and the more you see around your business and you start focusing on some of the challenges, some of the positives um, that, that your expectations and your journey may then may take a bit of a change. And are there recurring problems that you see across all sales? Yeah, definitely. Probably one of the main ones is poor financial statements. It's quality of information. Um, if And that's, again, why it's important to get in early because we can see that and then we can start rectifying that. Because if if I if you're, you're a buyer and I come to you and I give you financial statements and then we start doing some digging and those numbers aren't actually accurate, well, you then lose all faith in everything that we present you. And then it's very difficult to maximize value because as a buyer, what they generally do is that they'll see that as risk. And the more risk that they see in a transaction, how do you mitigate risk? <laughs> well, the simplest way is pay us less. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the key ones. The other ones that that people struggle with is, is resource. Again, as I said, we're generally representing a smaller entity that's that's going and being sold to a, a, a massive company. Um, I think when we did the first call with Bosch, there was probably five people on our side and they had about 40 people on the call. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, so these businesses don't generally have additional resource that they can leverage off to get them through the transaction because they are very intense uh, and they can go on for generally anywhere between sort of six to 12 months. So it's a, it's a long process that you've got to go into. Um, 
so what we do is we try and take as much of that burden on as we can um we can have that additional resource that they need um same with your existing accountants or you know if if we're your accountant they can definitely help us with cleaning up those financial statements getting good legal advisors it's all around building this team before you go to market um and then one of the other things that i'll always tell a client is be open and transparent to your advisors there's nothing worse than a client that's not telling me what the skeletons are or what the potential issues are, mm. what keeps them up at night. Because if they're not transparent to us, then we can't prepare for that. And if that starts coming out during the transaction and it comes as a surprise to us and we're not prepared, again, it, it just makes it a lot harder to get the best result. And it's a funny thing that you think they won't be honest with you, but I suppose it's a bit like being represented by a lawyer and you're in a court case and you decide to withhold actual information. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And and look, I, I say it's, you know, and it does happen and, and you know, they people play their advisors, even though we're on their team. I think they see, everyone thinks everyone has their own goals you know, and I think they think sometimes our goals might not be aligned to theirs. Yeah. Um, but if that's the case, then I'll feel like I'm not doing my job properly. Yeah. <laughs> and in a way, you're not because then they're not trusting you complicitly. And that's what they should. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. so. so what type of businesses or companies or investors looking for at the moment? Yeah, well, it's been a big shift um, recently after what's everything that's gone on with tech, uh, I think, and with the interest rates rising. Obviously, there was a huge amount of interest for a long time in tech businesses, but a lot of them weren't making money or because they were investing so much. So businesses that generating cash, people, people were looking for investments that were all about growth then, um, where now people seem to have come back and looking for businesses that are generating cash flow. I, I think of it like if, if even if you look at the ASX, you know, all the top performing shares now generally don't pay dividends where back in the day it all used to be your banks and you know your more flat sustainable businesses that pay dividends and i think that that's coming back now we're definitely seeing it in our market uh, generally they want businesses that still have good growth or are definitely stable um no one's generally looking for businesses that are in decline um they want experienced management teams or, or a robust management team um, that's always one of the concerns is that if you are selling a business, there's too much IP that's leaving the business. Um, so it's very important that you've passed on those relationships or, you know, you've, you've been upskilling management through the journey. Strong margins is generally one that people want as well. Um, those lower margin businesses are always more difficult to sell. A big thing during COVID has been around cost controls with inflation. Um, that's on everyone's radar. So every time we're selling a business now, the question's always a case of, oh, what's your ability to pass on cost increases? Have you done this in the past? You know, how do clients take this? Um, what have you done? And then that comes in definitely for manufacturing businesses has been around any reliance on supplies, you know, raw materials, how many suppliers do you have? Even as well, obviously, the difficulty we saw over COVID was the time it took. For, for products to to get um, from one place to the other. So, and also I think that has had advantages where that's played actually into the, the hands of some of these manufacturers because I've worked on a number of transactions where 
they've said they've been growing because businesses now don't want to put all their eggs in one basket. Um, they're looking to broaden their number of manufacturers and they're actually looking to have manufacturers closer to shore. Um, so we've seen a big shift on onshore manufacturing. So speaking of manufacturing, you're based in the Melbourne office and you do have a particular focus on manufacturing. Um, do you think there's a big difference in how companies are run depending on what they do? Yeah, I think there is and there isn't. Look, the way we're sector agnostic, so I get to see all types of businesses. And the way I analyze businesses and business models, we really have sort of um, a systematic approach, I guess. If you look at a financials for a business, for example, you know, every business has revenue and what's revenue made out of what's well, price and volume. It might be just you're selling a product or it might be a service. So in that regard, there's loads of similarities for businesses. And then really, when you're looking at a strength of a business, there's a lot of commonalities there where it'll be around what we're talking there around, you know, suppliers, um, customer concentration, um, all of those sort of things that are very generalistic. Um, but from a manufacturing perspective, what I find is probably more key for those businesses is generally around the systems that they have in place. It's very important for them to have good ARPs. And that's probably around, it's this stock management is obviously super key in manufacturing. How do you manage that process of an order coming in to manufacturing it to the product going out the door? Um, if you don't have good controls in place, then it makes it very hard to streamline that process and make it efficient. If you're not making it efficient, you will have some margin impacts as a result of that. The other things we see in manufacturing, and especially when people are looking to sell, might be a lack of investment back into the business. Uh, because what are they doing? They're not investing, knowing that they're going to sell. If they don't invest, it means they generate more cash. They can take the cash off the table. But in, in the area that we're working in, you know, we're always selling to a sophisticated buyer that's going to pick that up and notice that. And they're buying a business for what it can do in the future. So neglecting it today will impact the value um, regardless. So I was try and advise clients that, you know, you even if you are looking to sell in the next 12 to 18 months, still keep focusing on that future because that's what really entices in the buyers. What would you say are recurring problems or even missed opportunities um, that you've noticed in the manufacturing sector? Um, missed opportunities, um, that's probably is partly to do again, you know, with, with this investment, um, not being nimble, is one of it. It's important to have strategies, um, but also you've got to be willing to change your strategy if it's not working. Um, investing into other markets, um, making sure that you do have a growth trajectory is key. Um, when, we've, when we're looking at evaluation for a business, a lot of it's done on the profit and then we apply a, a multiple to that business. What generally drives a higher multiple is the growth prospects of a business or the brand or the IP. Um, so if you've not got that in the business, then that's generally going to generate a lower multiple. It's generally why businesses like ours that are uh, people businesses generally don't command a high multiple. We generally trade uh, anywhere between sort of two to three times. And one of the reasons for that is it's hard. There isn't much IP in the business. The people are the, the key aspects of that. Yeah, and how are you going to put a price there because the people can leave? I mean, you, you can't sell the people. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
what would you say is the most important investment that you can make in your company? I think the, the people is definitely key. Uh, you need good people in your business um, without those. Um, and you need p- people in the right areas. Um, that's something that a buyer will always look at. Are there any roles that aren't being fulfilled to the best of the ability? Or is there any gaps in, in that management team? Um, the other one's processes. Um, it's important to have well-documented processes um, and to have them streamlined. This is why, again, I think, you know, all this RPA and automation is great as well because the more of that, one, to, to develop RPA, you need to really review the processes and understand them. And you can normally start streamlining them before you implement them. So I think that's a really key factor. Um, and, and probably it's making yourself redundant as, a, as an owner is one of the big things. Um, if you're still very hands-on, as I said, there's a lot of IP in your brain, not in the business because it's not documented, it's not written down. Key relationships with customers, they ring you, not someone else. You know, that's that's going to make it very hard for that transitional process. So I think you've got to make sure that you're passing things on. And this is hard for some people because some people do, it's their baby and, and handing things over um it makes some people feel uncomfortable but um i guarantee you it's the right thing to do and it's the way to get the best results it makes me laugh because i just had a, a podcast with daria valenza and he was saying um he started out as a ceo then um you know he had a whole journey and he's just a board member now and i said to him how did the transition journey go and he laughed he said well um the image of white knuckles um clinging on but you know you have to but it's very hard because it's your baby and you know you want to go oh the company can't survive without me but actually if you've done your job well the company can survive without you yeah exactly it's a bit like you know you can give the analogy with kids you know it's like You've got to give them that freedom so that, you know, they're going to have to grow up and be adults at some stage and you've got yeah. to let them go. You know, it's the same thing with a company. I did. I do joke with I've had an owner before where I said to him, I'm convinced that we're going to sell this business. And that next day you're going to still drive to the company. I guarantee <laughs> you, you'll get in the car. It's <laughs> <laughs> just one of those characters where, you know, he was we had to we had to prize his hands off it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay now it's fine you can go and relax because what's that <laughs> exactly yeah and it's more the question of well what do I do now this has yes. encompassed so much part of my life and it's um you know uh, well you can you, you can stage? add that sorry you can add that on as a service to say to them um and now let's prepare you for the next journey because I think it's easier if it's easier exiting if you're ready now I'm going to something mm-hmm yeah, no, definitely. And, th- and that's what we do. So our business advisory team don't just deal with companies, they deal with personal wealth as well. So that's generally the next transition of, you know, you've, you've made this 20, 50 million. Um, now, what are you going to do with it to make sure, you know, that you're investing it correctly? Where do you want to put it? What is your risk appetite? And, and they can do all that to assist you. What's one piece of advice you'd give someone starting out? I think it's identifying your strengths. Uh, again, to me, it comes back to this people. It's making sure you surround yourself by the right people. Um, no one's good at everything. And also businesses now, uh, we're also specialists. Um, we were joking on the call before we jumped on around, you know, people asking you when you think you're an accountant around, you know, some general tax advice. Um, 
that's not my area. I'm a very specialist in niche and what I do. And by doing that actually makes me even better because I'm just focused on that one thing. Um, the Why do I try and spread myself and my what I can offer? Um, the, the Probably the less advantage I'm going to have in that specific area. So I think it's, we see it a lot with capital raising where there's always this concern of giving away value of the business early. So, you know, you might want to raise 5 million and you having to sell you 30, 40% of your business. And a lot of people um, get concerned around that because they see the big future plan and the money that they can make. But I always come back to the fact of, you know, well, when it's going to accelerate you two, it's going to make it much more probable that you actually are going to achieve those results then. And also it's sharing the load, it's bringing experience to the business that you might not have. A lot of these private equity companies have similar businesses in their portfolio, or they have a great Rolodex, they can open many doors. And also they, they provide us a great sounding board. Um, you know, being a business owner is very scary, you're the leader and you don't normally have a lot of people to leverage off. Um, and people, you know, these, these, by selling some of your company, you can buy that in. You know, this sounds terrifying to me, your job that you do, because it's such responsibility. I'm, I'm, I don't want to ask you, have you gone wrong? But let's let's focus on the positive. Have you got a mentor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. So I've had, I've had many mentors um, through the period. Look, it's been um, bosses of obviously managers have been the key ones. But I think because of my role and I see businesses and I see them more as like, living organisms I guess and and that importance of a, a well-skilled management team can really drive any business and make it successful so what I've done is a lot of reflection on what am I good at and what am I not so good at and trying to find mentors that are good at things I'm not and trying to understand how are they good at it and why am I not good at it and what can I do to improve myself um we also do a lot of external stuff. Um, RSM is great at training us. I've done loads of soft skills stuff. We were not that long ago on a Harvard Business School course. Um, it was fantastic. And it, even I find just as well, taking some time out of your business is so important. I'd recommend that to any business owner. It's very hard to strategize in your workplace because you've got so many distractions. But if you go to, you know, somewhere for two days and it's out of the office, you know, you're only checking emails in between, you can really absorb yourself into this. And it, it's amazing, I find, how it it creates and provokes a lot more thought, I find, when I'm, when I'm at those sort of places. Um, and then the final one's my peer group. I think it's very important um, for me and being other people at my level um, that I can leverage off and even vent to sometimes, you know, it doesn't always have to be mentoring. It can just be to get some things off your chest. Yeah. What does the first consultation look like at RSM and where can people contact you? Yeah, so probably the easiest place to contact us is from the website. Um, and then our, our first consultation really is, um, is a fact-finding consultation. Um, it's understanding the business, um, the person, um, their requirements. And then from that, we can really start to understand and structure something that would be bespoke and, and fit their requirements. We also have no problems walking away from things. Um, look, we, we know, again, we know what we're good at, and we know what we're not. 
Um, I've done it on a numerous occasions with transactions um, where it's been too early stage for us um, or we've not felt we've had the skill sets in that sector. So we've said, look, you know, all the best, but we don't think we can add enough value um, to you in this regard. So we've stepped away. Um, but yeah, it's all really getting to know them um, and what they need and what their objectives are. Fantastic. And having dealt with a lot of people at RSM and because you're a sponsor, not just because, but they're exceptionally nice people. Um, so my advice to anyone listening to this episode, if you need any help, um, hit Oliver up and tell him that you listen to his podcast. He may take a little bit of pity on you and give you a small discount i'm just being very facetious here oliver i doubt that you're gonna do this so don't say nikki said you're gonna give us a discount check you'll go no i'm not any closing thoughts or remarks that you'd like to leave our audience with no it's just been thank you for inviting me on um it has been a pleasure it's been great working um with robotics australia um, I think it's great building this network out and um, and having people like yourself that can advise us as well in areas that you're the specialist in and we are not. Um, I think the only thing I'd add, you know, we, we're obviously planning an event together um, in Melbourne. So I might just give that a quick shout out if that's OK. Perfect. Go for it. Brilliant. So we've got the Manufacturing for the Future event on the 23rd of November. Um, starts at 5.30, goes to late. Um, it's a great opportunity to hear from some RSM speakers. Um, we've got a guest speaker from the legal firm Mills Oakley, and we've got Nikki speaking as well. Um, we've also got opportunity for businesses to network at the start and at, at the end of the event. Um, if you do want to find out more details, just go on the website. Um, you'll be able to find it from RSM. And I think it, it, you've done some of your own marketing as well, Nikki. Um, the events in Dandenong Pavilion. Um, so yeah, if anyone is listening and is interested, it'd be great to see you there. Fantastic shout out, Oliver. And if you by any chance miss this, don't let that stop you reaching out to um, Oliver for any expert advice. Um, the invitation is there. Hit him up on LinkedIn, connect with him. And um, if you do want to come to the event, do make sure to register. That um, That's actually essential part of that as well. Oliver, thank you so much for your, your time. I really appreciate it. I've uh, I've learned a lot. I I always think um, you need you need some people in your corner. The obvious ones just come to mind: a good accountant, a good a law, good lawyer, and a good doctor. But I mean, other than that, I think we covered. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Oliver. And to our audience, thank you very much for your company today. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to us chat away. I look forward to your company again. Mm -hmm.